Hello, everybody, and welcome to Last First Day, the podcast where I, Billy Gleason, lead guests from all over the entertainment industry back to school for one more perfect day. Why? Well, their schools happen to have reached out to me and told me they were technically one day short of graduating. I know, rubbish. However, due to my magical powers in the space of about 45 minutes to an hour each week, I'm able to walk these people through the halls of the Last First Day Academy and all these schools have agreed that these people can do it their own perfect way. All their favourite classes, all their favourite teachers, all their favourite lunches, all their favourite everything and then they're graduated again and everything is fine. Now, if you've joined us the last couple of weeks, you'll know exactly how the format works. If you haven't, I recommend going back and checking them out. Last week, I had a great conversation with my mate Will Buxton about Formula One, Drive to Survive, and his boarding school in the south of England. The week before that, I chatted with my mate Stephen Denano about wrestling, music, and his school in Hackensack, New Jersey. But this week... We're off to an all-girls school for the first time on the podcast. We're actually staying in the UK, which is convenient because I can keep staying with my mum and she cooks fantastic dinners. If you haven't had her pasta bake and her bread pudding, it is to die for. I can't believe my luck that my mum's going to keep cooking. I can't believe my luck with my guest this week. And I can't believe I'm about to tell you that my guest on the last first day podcast is none other than Rebecca Lowe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Last First Day podcast. My guest today is a broadcaster you know if you've watched a single Premier League football match over the last 10 years. You may also know her if you've watched any Olympics broadcasts in the last decade. You may have seen her on the Kentucky Derby coverage. She knows her horses. Don't let her innocence fool you. She's trying to nick your money. She's covered sports in the US and in the UK. She's here. She's there. She's every something where. It's Rebecca Lowe. Rebecca Lowe, how are you, mate? Oh, Phil, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be on the pod. I've just got to pick you up. It's the Kentucky Derby. It's the Derby. I know. I'm really, really sorry. I've actually been accused no. of getting too British when I do the podcast and I'm talking to other British people. No, don't apologise to me. It's so difficult when I'm on the Derby coverage. I did slip in a Derby last year. But, you know, we were coming off the Manchester Derby and I've got the Kentucky Derby. And it's like, I'm not a magician. I can't bloody do it all, OK? <laughs> you're, trying, you're trying your best, mate. How many years have you done the Kentucky Derby now? Was it just one oh. or a couple of years now? No, I've done, I think I've done it twice. It got interrupted by the pandemic. So right. there was a bit of a break there. And then this one will be my third, yeah. So, my yeah. God. So you've really been from, you've done football, you've done the Olympics, you've done the yeah. Derby. Is there yeah. anything else in your future we don't know about? Any other sports that you want to cover that you haven't covered yet? Oh, good question. You know what? I, I think I think I'm pretty happy where sport's concerned. Although like, I do sometimes joke, don't I? You were probably, when you worked with me back in the day at NBC about like, you know, I don't think I'd be terrible at the NFL. I mean, I wouldn't be the best, so I wouldn't be, like, horrendous. I mean, obviously, I would be horrendous. Um, I would quite like to do, at some point in the future, build something totally different. Right. Because I have a lot of other passions, you know? So I feel like sometimes I'm just the, the football girl. I really am just a football girl. And sometimes I think, you know what? I've, I've got other things I am interested in. And one day, maybe I'll pursue them. Like, we made a joke last week on The Lowdown, my little YouTube show, yeah. about doing a cooking show with Robbie Musto, which I think you'll find <laughs> would probably be ratings gold. I think <laughs> I think anything with Robbie Musto, it could be it could be a cooking show with Robbie Musto, it could be a CSI spin-off with Robbie Musto. Right. I would watch every single second of that show. Exactly. The man is just, the man's comedic gold. Whether he knows it or not, he's comedic gold. Yeah doesn't know it Bill and what's so amazing is if you ever watched Robbie Musto as a player which I did you know back in the 90s you would never have foreseen the comedic gold levels coming he was the most box-to-box 
little harrier, honest pro in the middle of the field. Nobody was like, you know, thinking that this guy was going to end up being the kind of Robbie Mosso is. But my goodness, he is hilarious. (laughs) I have to, I'm going to grass on Robbie a little bit because I think my favourite thing he ever did when I worked with you was there was a time where you were asking him a question about something. It was like, you know, one of those questions you really thought out and, you know, you've gone through during the game coverage. It's like, this is what I'm going to ask Musto. So come to Musto for this. And his reply to your question was, you know what? I don't want to talk about that. I'm actually going to talk about something else. But Phil, we still laugh about that very moment. I still say to him, I'm like eight years old, like, is that all right? I ask you that question, Massey, because I know how you like to just say to me, you don't want to answer that. You're going to answer something else. Honestly, he kills me every single week. The guy kills me in a good way. Everyone thinks the show Love Island invented the term pied off. No, pied off happened on the set of the Premier League show. That's where it began. May I have to ask you, as I said, on a recent episode, someone said that my accent my voice gets too british when i'm talking to another british person as someone who has been a british person living in america now for about a decade is that right have you been over here this summer yeah how have you managed to avoid diluting this wonderful british accent that we know and love well you know what bill i think it helps that i'm on tv because i think that you're more conscious of the way you talk so that helps it also helps when not in your situation but in my situation being married to a cockney Right. So I am married to a proper, well, he's Hertfordshire, but his family were from, you know, Bow. So he's a proper Londoner. Oh, wow. He, like you, is as strong vocally in his accent now as he's ever been. So that kind of helps. But I definitely know I have a intonation I, because people have said to me that I do. American accents are so sing-songy and everything goes up at the end and everything is like that. Mm-hmm. And so... You, you can't help it. I don't, you know, people in England get a bit mad at me. I don't know about you, but they're like, oh, do, you sound American. And why are you using American words? And well, number one, I've got an American kid. So I need to, he can't be the weirdo that calls trousers, trousers. He has to call them pants. So then it's like, I can't be bothered to do a translation. So now I call them pants in front of Teddy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. But also when you're surrounded and where I live in California, there aren't really many expats, Bill. So I'm surrounded by Americans. It's not that easy to stay fully British. So I'm trying as best I can. I don't put it on, but I guess being on TV, I'm a little bit more conscious about, and talking about a British product, I'm a little bit more conscious about just trying to kind of be who I am rather than fall into the sick. And also with the two Robbies being on the set, and then we're all English, that kind of helps too, I think. But yeah, yeah I know I've got a bit of a sing-song going on. I have it. When I go back to England, people will basically be like, oh, ER, here he is. Tom Cruise thinks he's walked in with his American. I'm like, what have I done? I'm like, I feel like I sound the same as I did a decade ago. And they're like, nah, nah, it's basically Bob Dylan, everything I'm getting from you these days. It's like, what? What? I don't know how that's happened. But it is a bit like a foreign language. It's like, you know, you've if, if, if you spoke a completely foreign language, say you lived in Japan for 10 years and then you didn't yeah. speak it for 10 years, you probably start to lose some words and some bits that you're you trying to... Japan for 10 years, you came back and you spoke a little bit of Japanese when you went to get sushi. Everyone would be giving a massive round of applause. Like, wow, you can speak Japanese. Yeah. You come home with a bit of American twang and they, like, disown you. Yeah, so back on the plane, back you go, oh, not no. having that down the pub, not giving you a pint. It's terrible. But, mate, I, I, was, I have to ask about the job itself. And I know you get a million and one questions about the job. But as someone who's worked with you in the past and loved every single second of it and would do it again in a heartbeat, you have been covering the greatest sport in the world and the greatest league in the world for nearly 10 years. And I don't want people sounding off in the comments because that's just a fact. That's not even that's not even opinion. That's just true. You've been doing that. How satisfying has it been to see the Premier League go from this sort of 
niche fandom before you were on the air to packed out fan festivals across the US? It's a good question to use that word satisfying. I've not thought about it that way, but I'll tell you what, it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah. It really is. I mean, I can't, when you were there with us back in the early days, it was getting there, it was on the right track. And, and now to see where, like you say, we go to cities across America and there are 10,000 people every day coming out and queuing up at four o'clock in the morning to come in. It's, it's kind of, it's special. It's not something I ever thought I would do. I feel like I've become part of something or I am part of something which has actually made a bit of a difference. Not to be like cheesy about it, obviously not in like a charity work kind of way, mm -hmm. but in a kind of, it's made a difference to people's lives and that we've introduced a lot of joy, I think, to people by just giving them the Premier League in a really easy, comprehensive way. Mm -hmm. um, and to be a part of that, and I know we've given joy because the people that I see at FanFest, I mean, people are just overwhelmed when they come to FanFest and that is just a lovely feeling. So yeah, it's been incredibly satisfying and something I never thought, I guess I'd ever feel in my career, I suppose, especially, especially at certain points in the first 10 years of my career. I certainly never thought I'd have this kind of satisfaction in my career. Mm, I've loved following it ever since I've lived here. I moved here in 2008, nine. I've actually sort of lost track. And when I first moved here, I was sort of teased for loving football as much as I did because it was the thing that nobody yeah. really followed. Nobody really did. Now, you watch a World Cup here now, it feels like, honestly, it doesn't feel too far dissimilar to England. Everyone's into it. Everyone's interested. And no matter the team, if America go out, I, I don't know, they're going to they're going to put their chips behind the Netherlands and they're going to get really into the Netherlands now and really watch all that. It's really satisfying to watch the sport here now in a way it never has been. I think you're right. Legit is the word I would say. It feels like yeah. a legit part of the broadcasting landscape and sporting landscape. When I first got here, like you said, a little bit niche, slightly like odd. Oh, you do what? The English soccer? You know, it was very kind of like in its own little box. And over the last 10 years, it has exploded to become mainstream. And the audience figures tell you that, you know, we get more viewing figures, more viewers than NHL. You know, it, this is breaking huge. Yeah, huge. And we are on track to, you know, we're going to catch MLB next. So watch out. Baseball. It's, it's coming. It is coming. So, um, you know, it, it is. It's mainstream and it's a big deal and it's no longer niche. And people, it's cool. People want to be a part of football now. And that's pretty mega in a country this size. It's yeah. I think people have even realised that if you're the ones talking about the Ronaldo and Messi debate, you're sort of yeah. not the cool ones because that's the thing that everybody knows. But the people that come up to me and they talk to me about how good Newcastle is doing and they talk about Isaac and Wilson and whatever, I'm like, oh. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I sort, of, I sort of know my stuff. I'm like, all right, okay. And there's a lot of them, Bill. I mean, there is, I can't tell you without sounding like a Wally. Um, I really want to not use another word that begins with W and ends with Y, but I won't do it on this lovely podcast because I refuse to swear. But without sounding like that, going to a supermarket now compared to five years ago and then compared to 10 years ago or being in an airport, people will come up to me 10 times more often and be like, oh, Rebecca. And, but, and they, they just want to say, like, oh, what did you think of Chelsea today? Or like, and you're like, oh, my God, you, you watched the show? Like, Because when I first got here, you know, that never happened. Now it happens a lot. And it just it's just a reflection of, where this is go where this is and by the way where it's going because it's not stopping anytime soon and there's very few things bill left in this world especially in this country that are actually growing yeah. and this is one big yeah. time it's absolutely massive and you a lot of the american audience might not know but of course you started in football coverage over in the uk and then transitioned to it over here 
Did you notice much of a difference or were you the same Rebecca Lowe on the air in the UK as you were in the US or did you have to adapt a bit? Virtually the same. Some of the language differences, well, first of all, the television, what, what you know, the world of TV in America is very different in terms of the vocabulary that producers and directors and stuff use. So that took a lot of adaption. But on the air, I would do things like, you know, from Newcastle in the northeast down to the south coast of England to Southampton, let's go check in on that game. Well, you wouldn't say that in England because everybody knows where Newcastle is and Southampton is. But even to this day, I still slightly have a more of an educational role, I think in this job that I would have in England, they won't need to bother with most of those sort of things and a history role, teaching the history all the time in a kind of trying to be a non-patronizing way because there are a lot of people who know it, but I still meet people all the time who've just started the last year, you know, watching this. So they need to understand about the history of, you know, a Crystal Palace or a Chelsea or a Liverpool. So it, that role is slightly different, but in terms of the actual mechanics of presenting and hosting, I would say I'm the same person, yeah. And the promotion and relegation story, that always gives you a kind of a brand new start each season, which can be really, really cool because the amount of times you get a team that either has never been in the Premier League, which happens every now and again, but also those teams that have not been in the Premier League during your coverage. Like we've now got, we've got those teams on the table right now, like Blackburn could make a comeback. They haven't been back in a long time. And a lot of the American audiences aren't going to know that they were a pillar of the 90s, you know, one of the winners way back when that people might have forgotten about. But then you've also got like a Millwall who are lurking around there as well. And we're going to have a lot of stories that we might not want to talk about on the air if they come up into the Premier League. But that will be an interesting addition to the London club base. So it's just fun to see that it keeps changing and is, it is a little bit of a fresh start each year and it never gets stale. Because, you know why, Bill, as well? Because football in England is so full of history and rich history, and every club has a different rich history. Nottingham Forest is a perfect example. We had them promoted this season. Well, my goodness, talk about a history full of richness and heritage and European Cups and characters, right? So we can introduce them this season to an audience we've never had to mention Forest before. Hopefully a Sheffield Wednesday will come up. Again, incredible history. Um, you're talking about a Millwall when you've got a whole different take on, on, on a club. And then, so yeah, every year it's refreshed. Every year there are more stories to tell. But every year it's just impossible to predict as well. So that's another thing which I find quite rare in any sport. It, this really is. I mean, Bournemouth beating Liverpool last weekend is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Having them gone and beaten United 7-0 the week before. So it's a. that's why we love it. It is the gift that keeps on giving every year, whether it's every year, every season, every week. It's just, it's the best product out there. It is. I love that there's no such thing as a, a dynasty or a dynasty, as they call it in the sport, because... Yeah, you know, people think Liverpool are one of the big clubs. It's like Liverpool have sort of always been one of the big clubs, but they still only have one title to their name because all these other teams are in the mix, shoving them around. People are used to Chelsea winning, and you know they're my team, and we are sort of a, we're a middle-of-the-table team. We are Palace nowadays. That's what we've looked. We're a very, very expensive Palace is what we've, yeah. we've become this year. But it's just so, so fun to watch. And you speak about the unpredictable. What was unpredictable for me, mate, is I got a phone call this week and I'm so sorry to bring this up because I keep luring in my guests on the podcast with, you know, all this chat about their career and, you know, how they got to where they are. But there's a reason that I've had to bring you on today. So I got a call from your school. I, I couldn't quite hear it at the other end of the phone. What was the name of your school you went to? Was it Notting Hill and Ealing High School for Girls? It was. It was so long that I'd honestly yeah. forgot it. Not Notting Hill and Ealing School for Girls. 
High School, Notting Hill and Ealing High School, yeah. I like that you said that in your announcer voice because it's like, Bill, I know you're typing this down, so let me say it slowly. Um, <laughs> Notting, Notting Hill and Ealing High School for Girls. They were on the phone with me and they said, Bill, we can't get hold of Rebecca. She's she's a big deal now in America. When she first got there, you know, we could have got a hold of her. But now she's in the supermarkets. People are stopping her. She's trying to grab broccoli. And now we just can't get a hold of her. But we know you have this podcast and you've got a bit of a bit of an in. You used to work with her. So maybe you could bring her on and you could break the news to her. I said, all right, what is it? What is it? And they said, there was a clerical error and she was one day short of graduating school. I was like, oh, she's going to. She's going to be devastated because I know she loved school. I know she loved school. And they said, yeah, so if you can lead her through one more perfect day of school, then she'll be graduated again and there'll be no issues. So would you do me the pleasure of today walking us through one more perfect day of school at Notting Hill and Ealing School for Girls? High school. High yeah, school. Bill, I absolutely will. I, it could have been the Mercersburg Academy of Pennsylvania that called you as well. That was the year I took a gap year and went there for for six months and it had a huge impact on my life but Notting Hill Ealing High School girls or NHEHS which has got a lovely little catchy ring to it as we girls used to call it or Snotting Hill and Ealing High as the boys used to call us all of the above yes I can totally do that you just guide me through it my friend I'm gonna do it you mentioned your place in Pennsylvania as well tell me a little bit more so you did that for one year at the end of the high school time Yes, yeah, so on a very weird day in about 1987, I completed a maths book really quickly at the age of about six. And for some reason, they decided to move me up a year, right? Okay. Which was really not that easy for the rest of my schooling career because then I'm a year younger than everybody else. But it also means I graduate at the age of 17. Well, we don't graduate in England, but you finish your A-levels, finish your school, had to do all the everything a year early, so that's not easy. And then when you graduate at 17 in England, you can't go to university and not be able to have a drink. What? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to go to the union and not be able to have a beer. Not that I drink beer, but, you know, vodka lemonade, if I did back in the day, or maybe a schnapps. Um, so uh, I took a gap year, but the, the dweeb nerd geek in me loves school. I am not one of your backpackers, right? I, my, a lot of my friends, off they went to Thailand, basically to live out their dreams of that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. All of that kind of like backpacking, we're going to go to Malaysia. I'm like, no, 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 Is there a hotel? No, I don't want to go. So I'm like, what should I do? And my brother had done this thing two years before because he'd also got moved up in some weird quirk of nature. And he got this scholarship to a American high school. And I applied for the same thing because I thought, oh, well, basically all I wanted to do is go to the high school prom. That's basically the only thing I wanted to do because let's be honest, how amazing. So I applied for this scholarship at this institution, English speaking union that's called in England, got the scholarship. And then they said to me, like, where do you want to go? Do you want to go country or city? Do you want to do boarding or day and, and mixed or girls? And I said, well, I want to do the complete opposite from what I've done. So I'm like a London day school or girls. So I'm going to go countryside. I'm going to be a boarder and I want some boys, please. I would like some boys in my life. And so they sent me to the Mercersburg Academy, Pennsylvania in January of 1999. And I did the two semesters of 12th grade. And then I did all the schoolwork and everything. And I graduated, got a high school diploma. How hilarious. Yes, I went to prom. It was amazing. I looked terrible. What the hell was I wearing? But some terrible dress from Sears. Anyone who's listening knows what Sears is. I'm not sure it's even around. But in amongst all the craziness of high school prom, I did have the greatest time of my life. And that was when my love affair with America started. So that had a huge impact. Great friends from that time feel very, very pulled to that school. But I was only there for less than a year. So NHEHS which is where I was from age 10 to 17, 
really gave me the roots. Well, if Mercersburg happened to call someday down the road and say that the same thing has happened, I'll let you know, Bex. But we're going to go do. back to Notting Hill and Ealing High School for girls. Did I get it right, mate? Did I get it right? Good. This is going to be the last first day with Rebecca Lowe. Rebecca, start us at the very beginning at Notting Hill and Ealing High School for Girls at N-H-E-H-S. What time did you get up? What was your breakfast? What did the start of your day look like? All right. So I've always been one of those people that when the alarm goes off, I jump out of bed. I've just always been that person. My husband always thinks I'm going to collapse from like a blood sugar spike or something. But I'm like, beep, 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 beep. Up I get. I've never hit snooze as far as I can remember in my life. Right. Wow. So I get up at 6.50. I can't believe I remember that. Up at 6.50, first one up in my house, straight in the shower, Kappa's left end, Chris Tarrant's breakfast show Love on my it. funny little, right? Funny little waterproof radio. I don't quite know how that was. Anyway, turn that on, in the shower, wash the hair straight away, get myself ready, down for some breakfast, make my parents, my mum and stepdad, I make them a cup of tea every morning, take them their tea. And then I would start the great walk to school. Now, Bill, this was the great walk. Should I tell you why? Please. Many a reason. So here I am. Basically, this walk should take, from my house to school, should take 30 minutes. Okay. Maximum. I think it was a good hour. And here's why. So I would start my house. I leave the house at quarter to eight. I go pick up Rachel in Kingfield Road. And then we go and pick up Antigone, Brunswick Road. Then we go up to Mel's house. Mel was always late. We were supposed to meet her at the bottom of Woodfield Road. We had to go to Mel's house. She was drying her hair. This is why it took so bloody long. Then we would get to Balfour's, which was the newsagents. Keith and Val that ran Balfour's welcomed us every morning. And on, I would say four days out of five, we'd buy sweets at about 8.15 a.m., as many pick and mix as we could buy. And we there meet Anna, Anna and Katie, we meet there. At this point, we would also run into a group of four boys. The two twins, the Aitken twins, another guy called, I forgot, and the other guy as part of that four was one Peter Crouch. Really? Correct. <laughs> so Peter Crouch, formerly of virtually every Premier League club, already about six foot tall, and always have a tennis racket over his shoulder. And the key with this situation was that the twins that I mentioned, who ended up being his best men at his wedding, so they're still really good friends, Robert and Edward, who I pray never listen to this podcast, were the kind of heartthrobs of the four guys, right? And the six or seven of us girls, some or other, I can't quite remember who, may have had crushes on these twins, but we would never talk to each other, Bill. It was right. just all eye contact. Back in the day, it was eye contact. Or like, did you, did you get eye contact? I got eye contact. Did you? I think I just got eye contact. And then they would walk to their school and we would walk to our school on opposite sides of the shops. And again, there'd be some eye contact as we cross roads. And then off they went to their school. Off we went to our school, got there for about an hour after I left home, like 8.45. And then we would do the same thing, by the way, later on, on the way home. We'd often see them on the way home, more eye contact. Oh my God, more eye contact. Get sweets from the shop, go home, more eye contact. It was, um, this went on for years. Oh, and... May I just add in that, as part of our walk to school, on the corner, there was a greengrocer where HGG worked. HGG stood for horny greengrocer. <laughs> and in those days, the word horny was not what it really means now. The word horny was like thick, good looking, hunky, right? right. So horny, HGG, HGG, HGG alert, HGG, as he was coming out to put the oranges out at the front. So we all fancied HGG, but no one got anywhere near HGG. He was like a male model. God knows what he was doing working at the greengrocer. But yeah, so that was the walk to school. The great walk. Did you ever get eye contact from HGG? Well, I thought I did, but Antigone said she did. Anna was convinced that she did. So to be quite honest, 
I don't quite know who HGG had eyes for. I don't think it was me. Although, I God, God, I wish it was. <laughs> so, HGG, he had eyes for everyone, which is a little bit offensive, honestly, because eye contact means yeah. something. Eye contact basically meant you were married back then. 100%. 100%. I mean... Wait, you went to the girls' school and they went to... The all boys school. They went to was, Lott, yeah, they went to Drayton Manor, I think, which was a mixed school somewhere else in the Elam. I don't know where it was. Yeah, I haven't noticed that be as common here in the US, but I went to the all boys school, St. Olaf's Grammar School in Albinton in Kent, and just up the road was the all girls school, Newstead Wood, which is where actually Emma Regicanu went. Okay. So yeah, all of us banded together and we're like, oh my God, somebody famous from both of our schools. This is really cool. This makes us all amazing. But when we were walking to school, like if you got the bus, if that girl got off at the same stop as you, all of a sudden you're like, well, this is it. This is it. She got off at the same oh. stop because she likes me. Not because she actually lives yeah. at the same, no, no, you know, no. in the same area as me. This means well, something. Well, this was like a different world back then. There was no phones. And so right. you were never on social media. So if this had happened now, I'd have been following those twins for fun, by the way. <laughs> and then I'd be like, why are they not following me back? And that, that must just be so stressful. Back in the day, it was purely like trying to get eye contact over the cola bottles at the pick and mix. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And wait, are they reaching for the weird banana things? Because this could be a deal breaker. I, I don't hope know. Not. The foam bananas? I hope not, mate. If I they reach not. for that, get put your eyes somewhere else, mate, because I'm not having it. I'm not having my kids be raised on foam bananas. None of that. None of that. So we've got past we've got past HGG and the boys go into their school and the girls go into their school. So you walk to school. Would you ever sometimes get a lift to school? Would you ever be lucky enough that if the weather was bad or whatever, was it always a permanent walk? Very rare lift to school. Very rare. Umbrellas, yeah. I mean, our mums were all busy. Dads were all busy. Like, we were just, it was walking, whatever the, whatever the weather. When it sounds like yeah. you enjoyed the walk as well, the, the, oh, the walk great. was the social thing. Oh, it was the social time. It was the best. We just caught up on all the, who we, who do we fancy? It's basically all we talked about all the way down and all the way back. And let's be honest, we were 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-old girls. That's what you talk about. <laughs> so you've got to school, and then once you're there, Let's actually get the bad stuff out of the way first. I like to do that with the podcast. So we finish on the high note. What were the classes that if you go to school, you are dreading? You're like, oh, I'm not having that. I might even be pulling a sickie if this class comes along. Well, so I'm such a good girl. I was such a good girl. I just wanted to achieve and do well all the time. But if we're talking about right at the end of school, when I was doing my A-levels, I did theatre studies, English and history. And theatre studies was the bomb. Our teacher was a legend. He was the best. He would sometimes just take us all out for like cake. It was just amazing. My parents were like, sorry, we're paying the fees for going out for cake. Okay. Uh, English was split between English language and English literature. And then history was split, medieval history, between European and British, I think. And it was European history with Mrs. I forget her name, but I can see her in my head. And I'm not joking you, Bill. There was one day where Rachel Mars, my friend at the time, great name, and I, also a stand-up comedian by the way in England she and I decided she was also like a good girl too and she and I decided right today's a day we can't we just can't with this woman all she would do right is she hello she'd come in sit at the desk she'd open her folder that had been used since 1980 and she would all she'd do is read from her she would just read pages of history which we had to then it was like dictation for an hour and a half we had to then write it up just give us the notes why are you literally reading it out for us to then write it down what is this this is like what is this so this one day rachel mars and i were like we're so done with this should we skive and not you remember skiving Love neither skive. of us skived in our life we're like we're gonna skive let's go down pitsanger lane pitsanger lane was the place where hgg was right 
where Peter Crouch, where Balfour's the news agents. So we start the great walk out of school at like 10.30 in the morning. Like, we're going to sky. We're going to go down and get like a donut. And we get over a couple of roads and we can still see the school. And we looked at each other like, oh, no, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we should do this. And we were like, no, let's run back. And we like ran all the way back into European history with Mrs. Whatever her name was. We were like, so sorry. We're like, we're so sorry. We'd never been, we were just such good girls. So we, I tried to be naughty and bad. I just couldn't because that was the worst class ever. But on the whole, my school and the way things were taught, and it was the bee's knees. I loved it. Pressure was way too high, but um, other than that, I loved it. Now, was a lot of that due to the content of the classes, the teachers, the people that you were in the classes with, or sort of all of it? I think great teachers, and I picked my A-levels based a lot on the teachers, but also on what I vaguely enjoyed. It was based on the friends who were magnificent. It was based on the feel of the school, which was not too big. So it was great. And also the kind of person I was, which I just loved school. I just absolutely loved everything about it. I loved learning. I loved achieving. I loved being with my friends. It was just, I just loved everything about it. So I think it was a combination. Oh, that's amazing. So the only bad we've really managed to pull out of here is we're not having history and writing the notes that she's already written down and could have done a photocopy, honestly. I know they cost 10p back in the day to do a one sheet of photocopy. It was a bit expensive, but still, come on, make it a little bit easier for us. Let everybody have a good time. Unbelievable. So now we're going to speed into the good. What would be the dream start to the day? Is it theatre studies? Is it English? Is it something else? Yeah, dream start's got to be theatre studies. English was okay, but theatre studies for me was it. Partly because the teacher, Mr Green, who was the son of a very famous jazz musician called Benny Green um, mm-hmm. in London. I still know him now, I'm still pals with him now. His first day at the school, and this is an all-girls school, private, pretty kind of conservative with a small C. He walks into assembly. We all know there's a new drama teacher, right? He walks into assembly wearing leather trousers. And we were like, who in God's name is that? What is going on with the trousers? And a huge bouffant hair like he was the bloke from Greece. I mean, it was like Danny Zuko walking in. But the guy, and I had him for about four years, a couple of years before I did A-levels, and then I had him at A-levels. You know what it's like when you have a teacher that's great. He, he just made everything great. He, we just all kind of worshipped the ground he walked on because he was a brilliant director. So every time we did a school play, he was just the, oh, he's so talented. He was way too good to be a theatre studies teacher, um, to be honest. He's just too good at everything he did. But he was just funny. He relaxed the rules. Like I say, we'd turn up at theatre studies and we'd some days we'd really like work really hard and other days we would spend half an hour talking about boys and he would like get involved or he'd say like, right, let's go and get donuts or he'd send somebody out. for. I mean, it was just, I guess he was like the bridge between school and what university was going to be at yeah. some point. He treated us like adults and we absolutely adored him and we adored theatre studies and I just wanted to be an actress. That was the big dream from the age of, I can't even remember. And so anything to do with acting or reading out loud in class, anything, I'll do it. I want to do it. I want to be in the middle. I want to be the star of the show. Let me have it. I want all the main parts. And so that was my thing. Theatre studies was my thing. So I could have done that all day. But yeah, start the day off with a bit of theatre studies before break. Nice. You said you always wanted to be an actor. What started that? Who inspired that? Where did that begin? Uh, probably my mum, because she was an actress. Um, oh. She gave it up not long after she had me. But I, I don't know whether she inspired it as such, because I never saw her do it. Mm. She was inspiring in that she had like an office at home which was full of plays everywhere you look there were masks on the wall like she's incredibly theatrical and she'll listen to this she knows she's very theatrical (laughs) and I think that it was just always in our life she was a drama teacher then but she went into being a drama teacher so it just became part of my life plus I realized very quickly that I wanted to be the center of everything 
I wanted the main part in everything. I wanted to be, and you know, who wants to read this chapter? Me, no one else wants to read. I'll read the next one too. Like a complete annoying little, you know what? But that's what I wanted to do. I loved all that. I just wanted to be on stage from day dot. So no one's ever accused you of being a wallflower? Definitely wasn't one of life's wallflowers. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, not now. Middle of the room. Give it to me. Let's go. Let's do this part. Yeah. Fantastic. That's I love it. it. So theatre studies with Mr. Green and his leather trousers. That's where it's begun. That's where the day is just tip top. Next class, though. We've got to get a total of three. The three dream classes. What's the second one? It's not easy. I wouldn't say dream classes is that is that easy, but mm. it would it would probably be English and it would probably be when we would do, study the plays, I think, you know, we would do a Shakespeare play and Mr. Dace, who, God bless him, had a had a hair transplant, something I'd never seen up until that, until Mr. Dace turned up one day and we would all stare at his head like, what's different? Because in those days, you couldn't, you know, that wouldn't really happen. I think he was one of like Wayne Rooney's predecessors. Like he was an <laughs> early hair transplant go-getter. It was impressive. It was very toothbrush-like and we just couldn't take our eyes off it. But, uh, bless him, he was fine. But it would be when I, whenever, again, whenever I could do anything in class, whenever, so we'd be doing, I think we did with Summer Night's Dream maybe and a couple of other Shakespeare plays and we'd act them out in class and there I was. Yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. Nobody ever, ever wanted to do it and I would do it. And I'd sit next to my great friend Lou in English and we would just laugh every single second of the class. And that would probably be the next best class, I would say, Mr. Dace or Mrs. Bray. Double English before Double lunch. English, we're sticking that in. And then, did you have some sort of break in the day, like not 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 your lunch yet? We'd have a break between theatre studies and double English, so that would always go down to the dining hall where I buy a Kit Kat and a bag of Doritos because obviously I was on a health kick back then. Um, and also, that would be my entire lunch money gone. Really? So there you go. Yeah, brilliant. So I left with like fifty p for lunch, but I was starving. I don't know about you, but like. By 10.15, I'm like ravenous because I'd had probably crunchy nut cornflakes for breakfast, which is like no breakfast to set you up for the day. And so burritos, Kit Kat, in you go, starving hungry. Yeah, so that was before. And then it would be lunch after English. And that was out of the vending machines, which I feel like, you know, Jamie Oliver had all those taken out of the schools, but... <laughs> no, well, no vending machines in my school. We really? had to go and queue up in the dining hall with the little old ladies, and you'd have to buy your Doritos and your Kit Kats from the little old ladies. Yeah, yeah. But all my lunch money—I think my mum used to give me like one pound fifty for lunch. I, I, you know, it doesn't sound a lot now. It wasn't a lot then. I'm any danger. A little bit more. No. Okay, one fifty. Great. How am I going to make that small out? I'm not because I'm going to spend it all on Doritos and a Kit Kat. <laughs> and, and HGG's got to see some of this get down there at the end of the day I'm buy an apple on the way home <laughs> <laughs> need the FaceTime someone else might sneak in my god so, oh, so oh. your break sorted you've got your Kit Kat and your Doritos I was more of a twirl guy back in the days I, I liked. I did enjoy a twirl it's, it's hard to find a twirl over here they're really good then they came out with flake dipped which is really just a twirl. Did you ever have the flakes that were covered in chocolate? It's like, that's yeah, just twirl. I hope they sued for a lot of money because they've just stolen the idea outright there. Yeah, I suppose the only reason they do that is to encase the flakiness. Because the problem with the flake was when you opened it, half of it was at the bottom because it all flaked off. Yeah. Whereas I suppose you encase it in the chocolate. Mm-hmm. You know, I know my chocolate bars incredibly well from my days at Keith and Val's Balfour's. So I could literally go through every single, I know every single. That's a different podcast. That's the Patreon subscription. This is a day, by the way, Bill, when a chocolate bar costs 21p. Remember those days? Yes, oh. I do. I really do. If you got the curly whirly or whatever, you were you were probably paying even less. That was probably like 11 because oh. they knew it was thin as. But if you're getting yeah. something that's got couple of pieces in that's got 
multiple you're, wafers. You're really went a long way especially if you're getting the raisins and added whatever to it but you know what i think changed the game was the double decker as soon as they put the double decker in everyone's thinking you know premium chocolate every chocolate thought they were premium now all of a sudden so they're charging double decker prices for bang average chocolate you're not wrong absolute scandal what you always have to do though is if you've got to find your 10p at the bottom of your purse because you can always get yourself a chomp you if can. you're running out of money, you can always afford a chomp at 10 <laughs> So, we're past the break. We've got one more class before we get you to lunch. Where's the one more class you're adding to your schedule? Can I go back a little bit in time? Because my A-levels sure. were tough. And I didn't... Yeah. Really, okay. I'm going to go back and sort of draw a draw out a class from um, back in the day, which was my GCSEs. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to move maths, um, quite amazingly, into this slot because purely down to the fact that I'm not one of life's mathematicians, Bill, right? But, and this seems to happen to me a lot, I seem to kind of flatter to deceive. I'm kind of a bit like Dwight McNeil at Everton. I'm like, one day, I'm like decent at maths, right? So I'm in division four at the moment in, in my GCSEs, right? Out of four, just, mm-hmm. just that's how bad I am at maths. And then because I work so hard and I want to be the best at everything because I'm incredibly competitive, Miss Critcher said to me one day, Rebecca, you're doing so well in Division 4 out of maths. We think promotion's on the cards, right? I'm like, stop it right now. Am I getting promoted to Division 3 Miss Gatwood? Yeah. Yes, you are. OMG. Nice. So the next week there, I turn up Division 3 Miss Gatwood. Oh, my God. Miss Gatwood's like Einstein. What is going on? I don't understand any of this. So guess what? After promotion, I'm like Norwich City. I'm sent right back down <laughs> to Division 4 with Miss Critcher. And I have to go in with my tail between my Miss Critcher. I, I just couldn't cope. Division 3, that is like friggin' Premier League. I couldn't cope with it. Can I come back? I had to go back to Division 4. She was the sweetest teacher I am terrible at maths, never understood anything, put my hand up and I was always the person, yes, Rebecca, what's the question? Another question from Rebecca. But it was a kind of a cosy, warm feeling in that room. I used to sit by the radiator, very regularly burn my legs. Can't believe they allowed those radiators to exist. Those Mate. big, long ones, remember that? Yes, I do. The amount of times where I would come home and it would be like I had the trousers on, like our school uniforms, where all of a sudden it'd be really shiny because you'd basically burned it on the thing. <laughs> Mum's like, Mum's like, what are you done to the trousers? I've got to go and get new trousers now. And so I, I, I don't know, I sat in my chair and it's winter and they had the thing up about 116 degrees Celsius, by the way. I'm not sure why. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And my school was mainly in someone's old house or something. So it was like a room at the top of someone's old house. So they still had all the old radiators from like 1912. And yes, 1012 degrees, burnage going on. But I was always, it was at the top of the building and I could see out and I could, and it was kind of a lovely view. And she was lovely and maths in that division, nice division four was easy. And that is the lesson I would take. Yeah, that was a nice time. Brilliant. Also, I was the best in division four and I like to be the best at everything I do. That's why I had to come back down from division three because I can't be bottom of the class. That's, that's why you're Norwich. You like being really good and up here, but you got promoted. You didn't invest. I wasn't Brentford. I definitely wasn't Brentford. <laughs> I was 100% Norwich, yeah. <laughs> so we've got that. We've got your classes are all sorted out, mate. We're speeding yeah. through this day. Our last yeah. big hurdle here, before we get to the last part of the day, is your lunch. So you've got 50p yeah. left. What are you doing with it? I usually ask people, do you bring or you do you buy? Sounds like you always bought. I always bought because I don't know where I would have put my lunch if I, maybe in my locker, but I seem to have memories of packed lunches as a kid being kind of slightly warm 
by the time you opened it. And I don't know why I didn't put an ice pack in. I don't even know if we had ice packs, to be quite honest with you. So I would always buy with my what was left, 50p. I'd either go into the dining hall and with my 50p, and then I'd have to supplement with my pocket money. My mom's going to kill me. But I would supplement maybe another extra quid. And I would normally buy a cheesy potato. And HEHS was very famous for their cheesy potatoes. And mm. can I tell you, for about one pound, they would give you half a jacket potato, and it was a small one. They would then scoop out the potato, mash it, put it back in, right? Mingsville. And then cheese on the top, melt it, and sell it to you for a friggin' quid. And by the way, it tasted unreal. So here I was trying to be healthy. I'd get a, che- a cheesy potato and some limp iceberg lettuce on the side. That would be the lunch if I was going to be at school. But but when you got to sixth form in the last two years of school, you could leave the campus and go down to Pittsanger Lane and see if HGG was still there. Normally, HGG was just a morning shift. Sure. So we would go to, what was it called? West Side or West something, which sold sandwiches. And it was one of those places where they had like all the pots full of chicken salad, tuna salad, bacon salad god knows what else this were all like all in loads of mayonnaise and you go in and you have to and it was always a long queue so it was quite stressful when you get to the front they're like what kind of bread uh a brown bread and what, what do you want chicken your salad with that i uh, uh, sure 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 and it was scary but i would always have a chicken or turkey sandwich bag of walker's crisps and a diet coke and that's what i would get if i was down in pizza lane and we'd eat it walking back up to school so lunchtime was cool when you could get off campus or off the school grounds for the first time you were like oh, later it was amazing <laughs> sometimes you might even get a bus down to ealing broadway for 10 minutes and come back again Oh mate, we we would have that mate that drove, that mate that drove to school, oh, and it'd be like all oh, jump in his car. We're going chip shop, Robbie. If you're listening, you know who you are, and it'd be like, oh, absolutely amazing. And you were one of the first four that was asked. If you weren't in the first four, you ain't fitting in the car. You ain't going down chip shop today, so you're stuck. Chip shop was ridiculously close, by the way. So why we were driving, I have absolutely no idea. But if it was cold, people just couldn't be bothered. So they were stuck at the school. We had similar to you. We had pizza at our school that was really just like half-cut baguette with like canned tomatoes on top and melted cheese. It sounds rubbish. It was rubbish. They charged you about two quid for it. But for some reason, in school times, absolutely top-notch. Didn't get better. Didn't get better than your half-a-baguette pizza that didn't make any bloody sense at all that just reminds me of the other thing they had was garlic bread made on those baguettes yeah and when i tell you it was soaked to within an inch of its life with garlic butter i mean you would pick it up and the grease would fall out the bottom but my god it was good i just was hungry all the time at school all the time hungry. yeah yeah it's, we were all so invincible and our bodies are just constantly going back then when, whenever you would have games or pe or whatever you would have the fact that i would do that stuff on a battered sausage and large chips with curry sauce or something like that after every day. and i've gone out and played a game of rugby after that now i need about three days afterwards three days on the couch watching netflix because look if you've invited me out to do something sorry i had chips a couple of nights ago i'm done i can't move but then when you were 16 oh absolutely having it love it great days so here's how your day looks thus far very quick speed through for everybody who's listening just to remind them so you've woken up about 6 50 in the morning you've jumped out of bed you definitely haven't hit the snooze button you've chucked on chris tarrant and you've got your little radio in the shower that you don't know how it works you didn't take the science lessons to figure that out but somehow it did you're listening to chris tarrant at that time you've gone down you've made a cup of tea for mum and stepdad you've taken it up to them because you're a lovely person and then you're going to start your 30 minute walk to school that's really going to 
give you a 60 minute walk to school because you've got to pick up Rachel, you've got to pick up Antigone, you've got to get Mel. Mel takes forever. She's a nightmare. She hasn't even plugged in the straighteners yet. She hasn't even got a warm in. Then when she finally decides to show up, you're down the news agent, you see all the boys and you meet Anna, you meet Katie, the Aitken twins are there, someone else who you forgot, but then Crouchy's also there as well. But you make sure you're each other sides of the streets. You know, you're not going to mix. You're not going to mix. The schools don't mix. You're not going to mix either. But you're seeing who's giving eye contact. So some people are giving eye contact. You're not sure. You're discussing it. Then when you get to school, you're going to start with some theatre studies with Mr. Green. He's got those leather trousers on. You're just absolutely fascinated with him. You're going to be an actor. You're going to be a star. This is amazing. After that, you're hopping into English. You're going in there with Mr. Dace and his earplugs, and you're just fascinated with how he's pulled them off. But he has had a quick break gone and got your Kit Kat, gone and got your Doritos, then you've gone and done your maths, not the maths you got promoted to because you weren't quite prepared for it, you did a bit of a Wigan, you were good for a little bit but then you just swan dived, so you just got back to where you were comfortable and then you've had your lunch at school, half a baked potato but they've scooped out the potato, put the potato back in, then some cheese on top but it's fantastic even though they've charged you an arm and a leg and now the final part of your day is addressing the kids of today. So the kids of today at the Notting Hill and Ealing High School for Girls are all gathering in the Great Hall, the Assembly Hall, ready to hear you speak. And you're going to give them advice on how to succeed later in life. If they dream of being something like you, what are you going to tell the kids of today? Well, Bill, I think the first thing I would tell them is, before I get to how to succeed in life, I'm quite sure I qualify, but I think the first thing I would say is please just please enjoy. And it is so annoying when an old person tells you as a kid, like, enjoy every second. You'll wish you were at school again in 10 years. But that school and all the traditions that it had, God, I wish I could literally go back and relive. I just loved it. So I would first of all say to them, please savour, because right now you have nothing else to worry about except your UCAS form. That is the only thing you have to worry about. Everything else in your life is pretty much okay. Enjoy just being together and enjoying this freedom. So that'd be number one. And in terms of like advice that I would give for the future, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is to follow your heart in everything that you do. Heart slash gut. Because if you do that, you won't go far wrong. I followed my heart in some things. I follow my gut in some things. And I didn't in others. And the problem is it's difficult sometimes when you're young to know what your gut is saying to you to actually recognize that it's your gut talking and it's not just this voice on your shoulder and so you can't always get it right but then that's fine because making mistakes is all part of life but I think I went to the wrong university for example and in my gut I knew I should have gone somewhere else but I didn't I went to this particular one and whilst it all turned out great and I have the best friends from that university I don't actually think it was the place that I should have gone I also don't think that have led me to where I am literally sitting right now because various sliding doors but I could have ended up somewhere else who knows So I don't regret that, but I just think if you can try and recognize what your gut is saying to you slash your heart is saying to you early on, that is a real benefit. And then be brave. My dad always says to me, when in doubt, take the bolder course. And his dad used to say that to him. And I apply that to my life even now. When I'm not sure about something, do the harder thing, do the braver thing, because that's going to bring you further to where you need to be. And uh, I think that's what I would what I would say. I think in your head, you were talking about your career, but in my head, when you said follow your heart, I'm like, she's talking about HGG, isn't she? She should have, she should have, she should have, should have said something then. I'll just never know. I'll never know. Who knows where he is in life? I mean, I, mean, I don't even know what his name was. I can't even find him on, you know, stalk. I can't stalk. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know what's name was. HGG at HGG on Instagram ain't happening, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> this is why we're doing the podcast, mate. HGG is <laughs> going to know who he is. We're going to figure it out. Everybody who was in the sort of Notting Hill, Ealing sort of area, yeah. if you know HGG, comment yeah. on the podcast. We'll get. We'll, we'll make a reunion episode so that we can get this loop closed. Amazing. Rebecca Lowe. Thank you very, very much for joining me and congratulations on completing your last first day at the Last First Day Academy. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. Do you have anything you want to plug, promote, talk about before I let you go? Not really, Bill. I'm just pretty much standard, to be honest. Just tune in on the weekend to watch the Premier League. I'm pretty much in the same seat every week, my friend. Yes, but where can they find you? On the USA Network and maybe NBC and maybe some Peacock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just watch the you won't regret it you will not everybody watch the premier league coverage and rebecca before we go i do very very quickly want to say you you mentioned some fantastic things some fantastic piece of advice to people to follow your heart and you know take take the bolder option i can't tell you how much i needed to hear that because i've been going through some stuff in my life the last few months and i know there's a lot of other people out there who probably have been too and so hopefully this episode has helped them as well and i can say to everybody here that that is 100% true because you always did that with me when we work together. You always supported me. You always defended me. You always did that with so many other people. But also it wasn't just you. It wasn't like you were the only person at the show who did that. You did it. Robbie Earl did it. Robbie Musto did it. All those people were just fantastic support to me at a time in my career where I can't tell you how much I needed it. And I look back on it with so, so much fondness. And I was literally paid to watch Premier League football, which I cannot to this day figure out why someone would do that. I would have done it for free. But working with you was an absolute delight and getting you on the podcast was an even bigger delight. So thank you so, so much for doing this. I so appreciate it. Oh, Bill, we miss you. We absolutely miss you. We really, really do. But it's an absolute pleasure. And this is a great idea for a pod. And it's been an honor to come on. I feel very kind of nostalgic now. And so ends another Last First Day at Last First Day Academy. Thank you so, so much to Rebecca Lowe for joining us for her Last First Day for the first last time. Join me again next week as I have another fantastic guest waiting in the wings who is currently putting their Velcro shoes on and ready to relive another rubbish lunch that was actually sort of quality at the Last First Day Academy. Please be sure to rate the podcast, share the podcast, and comment on the podcast with the lunches you had at your school. I want to hear all of those stories and more. Until the next time, though, class dismissed.